Today we continue uh, the end series and we take a look at the future events and our minds have been filled with things that are coming and things that are shown in scripture that are about to take place. And like I've said over the last couple of weeks, I believe that they could happen today, that the rapture could occur today. And, and I said that the rapture is a signless event. There's nothing in scripture that points to the rapture. All the events in scripture point to the second coming of Christ. And so, like I said a few weeks back, if Christmas is the second coming and the rapture is Thanksgiving and we have signs and indication that Christmas is coming, then Thanksgiving is really close, the rapture. And so today you're going to see, once again, these events that are taking place during this event that happens after the rapture called the tribulation period. Personally, though, for me, as I unfold and study and read and, and dig into scripture and, and into resources that, that help me understand these passages and rely upon some study from years in the word and, and seminary and college and things that, that I, I, I've put into my brain and, and I've learned, I never want them just to become facts. I never want them just to be things that I look at and say, this is what's coming. This is what this means. And every time I look at Revelation, I always have to look at like and as. Is it like or is it as? And I don't just want to be someone who communicates things that are facts and figures that have no impact on us. And so the more I read this, the more I'm burdened for people who don't know Jesus Christ. The more this week as I read and I studied the more I felt this unusual urge from the spirit, unction of the spirit to say, listen to me, Grace Community, and those who are watching via the internet. Jesus is coming to rapture the church. Please, don't be left behind. My prayer is this to you, that you're just not collecting these things and saying, finally, I understand what they mean. My prayer is that somehow it moves you on to say, what about my dad? What about my mom? What about my boss? What about my coworker? What about my son and daughter? And what about my neighbor? What about my college roommate? I hope it pushes you to say, I want to be a witness to them so that they can find Jesus Christ too. One of the saddest things for me would ever be to know that people came to Grace Community Church, sat in these chairs, and never responded to Jesus Christ. Be, it'd be a travesty for me to know that as I stand before my creator God one day, to know that there were those who left behind who sat in these seats. Listen to me. My hope is this, that when you hear this information today and the truths of God's word, that you ask yourself this question. Do I know that I know that I know that Jesus is my Lord and Savior? If not, please, for the sake of the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, Don't waste the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the spoils of earth. Receiving Christ and acknowledge him as Lord and Savior is the best far above any decision that you'll ever make on planet earth. There is none more greater than trusting Jesus Christ. So listen to me. If during this service today you feel that you're uncertain or you're finding yourself beginning to ask hard questions and you're wondering. At the end of our services, we have rooms for you. 
And to my stage left here in the main, there's a room that we have a, an area set up and, and there'll be an elder sitting in there. And in the lake, there's, there's a room to, I'll be pointing it be to your right and over where the front of those stages, if you're looking at me, your stage left. Go to that room, there'll be an elder there that can help share with you what it means to trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It would be a travesty to see you not respond to Christ. Besides, no greater decision than trusting in Jesus Christ. Let's set up the timeline for today to give you a, a, a snapshot into where we're headed and where we've been. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at a timeline of events. We'll begin with saying, this is today. And the next moment on the timeline, as we understand or I would believe to take place, is the rapture. And I showed you last week and week before why I believe that's true. After that is a period of time called the seven years of tribulation. We're going to take a look at this period today. After the tribulation, we know that there's a thousand year millennial reign. And so we'll be looking at this in the weeks ahead. At the end of the thousand year millennial reign, all those who trust and know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior will enter the, what we call the eternal state. The eternal state for believers is heaven, the new heaven, and the new earth. The eternal state for non-believers is hell. And hell is a continuous place, and we'll look at, of wanting to get out. A place of fire and worms, and we'll look at some of the description. But both are headed. Everyone is headed to an eternal state. You die, you either are raptured, or you spend eternity in heaven and hell. And so ultimately, we must keep this in mind. As believers in Jesus Christ, we start here. This is where we're at. But ultimately, this is where we end. We end up in the new heaven and the new earth. Those of us who trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, well, ultimately, everyone gets there. Those who don't know Jesus Christ and during the tribulation and even during this day, if you die and haven't trusted Christ, your eternity will be spent in hell. And scripture is very, very clear on that. Today, we're going to be looking at a period of time that's in the front half of the first three and a half years of the tribulation. Last week, we ended with the seal judgments, the first half of the three and a half years. Today, we are going to be talking about the trumpet judgments that occurred during the latter part of the first three and a half years. The Bible tells us that the second half of the tribulation is called the great tribulation. As I was studying again this week and looking at it, I can't imagine anything being worse than the first half. Yet we will see that it does get worse. We know that the next timeline events after the seven years of tribulation is the second coming of Jesus Christ. We also know from Scripture that during this time, this is what we know in Scripture as the Battle of Armageddon. When I said, I said earlier in the first service, I wish that whiteboards had a squiggly line underneath that went like this when your computers let you know when you spell something wrong so that you could just touch it and just change it. That's for all you people who are OCD and you said, that's spell wrong, that's spell wrong. Get over it, okay? I'm going to spell some stuff wrong today. I will. I know I will. Grab your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 8. Revelation chapter 8. 
And if you need a Bible, hold your hand up and our ushers will be glad to put one in your hand. Please grab a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, please turn to your phone, open up your smartphone, your iPad, and let's look at scripture today. And we're going to see what the word of God says. And I encourage you to mark your Bibles up and to take notes. But Revelation chapter 8, we're going to open up this period right here before the first half of the tribulation ends, this second latter part of the three and a half years. Stand with me. We're going to read Revelation 8 verses 1 to 5 out loud. Let's read this out loud together. Ready, read. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and the seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of God's people, went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. You may have a seat. This is the time during the tribulation period where God finally acts. It's like God finally acts. This is the time like when you wonder, where has God been? It's, it's a time where he, he allows his wrath to be unleashed on planet Earth. This is a time when he allows these deaths to occur. This is a time where he's trying to get the attention of those who aren't Christ followers. And so we open up this account with a very interesting picture in heaven. It says that there was about a half an hour of silence in heaven. Now, pause and think about that for a second. It's hard to wrap our minds around how different that was and how it caused the inhabitants of heaven, which will be us, those of us who've been raptured, the saints that have been raptured. It'll be the angels who've been worshiping God for thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years, day after day of worship to God, where there's just been this, these choirs and instruments playing over and over and over again. And scripture says, it'll be silent before the trumpet judgments. I don't know if you've ever been near a, a great storm or a natural disaster, and some of you have, if you were part of the Palm Sunday tornado here and even in this area. But you've heard this term that says the calm before the storm or the law before the storm. It's a period of time where it seems like everything stops and there's quietness. This is a time in eschatology, as we know in future things, it's the calm before the storm of God and his wrath and vengeance invade planet earth. And heaven is silent. I can't imagine other than the angels and the inhabitants who will be us pausing and saying, whoa, God's up to something. In fact, the scripture says this, that the angel goes and grabs the prayer of the saints grabs the incense from the altar. He takes these prayers that have been, been begged to God, have, that we've pleaded to God, and, and you've probably been part of this, and I have, over and over again, God, please 
act on the evil on this earth. All those times when you know that vengeance is God and is his, says the Lord, and you're saying, please, God, do something about this. Please, God, please, God, please, God. We can't go on with this evil any longer. And there's this moment in Scripture that's very clear right here. It's where all the prayers of the saints for generations and years and years have been piling up. There's this picture where finally the angel goes. He gets your prayers and my prayers. And we've been praying out, God, your wrath, God, bring vengeance. God, do something about this evil. And finally, that last prayer kind of tips the scales. And it says that the angel grabs the prayers of the saints of God's people and the incense, and he hurls it to the earth. And then there's these peals of thunder. There's this earthquake that occurs, and it's like God saying, I'm back. It's a beautiful picture in Scripture where finally God appears on the scene, and he ushers in what we know as the trumpet judgments. Look how he ushers these in. Look at Revelation chapter 8, and look at verses 6 and 7. Then the seven angels who had seven trumpets prepared to sound them. The first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came what? And what? Mixed with what? Now just stop. Imagine that. Hail with fire and blood mixed together. And then it says this. And it was what? Hurled down on the earth. A third of the earth was burned up. A third of the trees were burned up. And all the green grass was burned up. Imagine if you can what's taking place during this first trumpet judgment. Imagine wrapping your mind in your own planet earth. Imagine this, this falling from heaven. And then it says this in the first trumpet. The first trumpet, there is hail. There is blood. And there is fire. And one third of the earth is affected by this. Out of nowhere... This silence in heaven and what follows is going to be an all-out attack from God on planet earth. And by the way, he's sovereignly in control of all the details of the tribulation. Let me just pull away and say this too. There is nothing that the enemy can do unless he has received the approval of the God who is sovereign over the enemy called Satan. He has complete control. And during this time, this judgment Trumpet judgment takes place. A third of the trees are burned up. All the grass is burned up. What a fire it must have been too. Now think about this. Now imagine the lack of oxygen that takes place. All the grass gone. In fact, in most fires in our world today, you will find out from people who died during these fires, most die from the lack of oxygen itself. Very few die initially from the fire. They die from not being able to breathe. And now a third of the earth and all the green grass that helps us breathe and all the vegetation that helps us breathe, that that the system that God has set into place, carbon dioxide and and then oxygen working together and how animals feed off of us and we feed off of, or plants feed off of us and we feed off of them. Now a third is gone and people will be gasping for breath because smoke has filled the earth. Let me pause and say this also. 
Sometimes when we read scripture, because we're an American church, we read only through the lenses of an USA mind. We read this and we think of Americans. We read this and think that somehow America will only be facing this. And our minds have been so saturated with American Christianity that we've neglected that we're just a small part of this large world. And so during this time, you heard me say last week why I believe that America won't have a significant part in the end times is because if in fact 25 to 30% of those who call themselves Christ followers are raptured out of planet earth, and you're no longer there, that's a large part percentage of Christians that won't be there. And our world is loaded with Muslims. Our world is loaded with atheists. Our world is loaded with agnostics. Our world is loaded with those who follow little gods. They will permeate the earth. We are just a small piece of the large gathering of human beings. It won't be an American look during the tribulation. In fact, some have even said that maybe one of the reasons America is not listed or shown to be in the future prophecy is because it will be destroyed by a nuclear bomb. Where are most of the nuclear targets and bombs pointed towards? They're either Israel or America. It wouldn't be uncommon to see a nuclear bomb hit on planet Earth and wipe out the Americans on planet Earth and totally decimate America. That wouldn't surprise me at all. That's why I believe in scripture that America won't be a superpower. Some ask, how will America not be a superpower? Most will be raptured. We could be wiped out. So during this time, think about this. There is not, during this tribulation, when the tribulation starts, you must keep in mind, during the tribulation, when it begins, begins, remember, the rapture occurs There is not one Christian on planet Earth. Think about that for a second. Wrap your mind around that. At the beginning of the tribulation, there is not one Christian. Imagine how dark that is. I mean, have you ever been the only Christian in an environment? And how difficult it is at times to be a bold witness? Imagine at the beginning of the tribulation, there aren't any Christians, because they've been raptured out, it will be as dark as dark can be, and the mark of the beast will be rampant. And if you do find Christ, you'll have a seal on your head that has the seal of God. It will be very difficult and challenging to be a bold follower for Jesus Christ. Sometimes we lose sight of that, that somehow it's just American. No, it's the world. There are millions of Chinese. There are millions of of Hindus. There are millions of Muslims. There are millions of atheists in our world. And yet during this time, the first trumpet says a third will be impacted by this. Now, look at the second judgment. Look what the second judgment, trumpet judgment says. Look at verse 8 and 9. The second angel sounded his trumpet, and something like a huge mountain, all blaze, was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea turned into blood. A third of the living creature in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. So the second trumpet judgment literally wipes out a third of... Think about this for a second. A third is impacted by blood. 
Imagine the seas loaded with blood. Imagine the earth with fish that are dead. Imagine a third of the ships destroyed in our world. In fact, did some research this week just to get a, a feel for how many ships are on planet Earth. And those of you who have Navy men would appreciate the, this truth. The world's merchant fleet totals about 45,000 ships. This does not include military ships such as destroyers, aircraft carriers, and submarines. Along with the merchant fleets of 45,000 ships, one must add the navies of the world with about 3,000 more ships. A total of 48,000 vessels. If a third of these ships were destroyed, it would approximate 16,000 ships. It must also be kept in mind that 3,000 ships of the navies are manned by approximately 1.5 million personnel. This could mean that perhaps as many as one half million men will perish at sea with their ships. It'll be a devastating time when this trumpet judgment number two appears on planet earth. Ships and, 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 and battleships will be sunk. Blood will fill a third of the, the water areas. And so you won't be able to drink it. And so there's just this horrible, horrible, tragic devastation on planet earth. Water contaminated. Men dying on ships. Some think the cause of the mountain being thrown into the sea is indeed a large asteroid. God himself in Colossians says, Jesus holds the world together with his hands and he doesn't let loose. In a moment in time during the tribulation, potentially he begins to look at the super galaxies and the asteroids and starts plucking them from the sky and throwing them down on planet earth. In one translation, it says that the mountains rolled up and peeled back and were thrown into the sea. There will be tsunamis. There will be water hitting the shorelines like never before. And some of these waters will be infested with blood, dead fish that will push their ways into the countries and the geography zones around. Nothing like mankind has ever seen. Yet still during this time, many will reject Jesus Christ. In my hometown in Hagerstown, Maryland, there's a place nearby called the Antietam Battlefield. The Antietam Battlefield is actually near where my older sister Kim lives. And if you're a Civil War buff, and some of you might have traveled there, people travel from all across America and the world to the Antietam Battlefield where Civil War has its roots and there's this one place at the Antietam battlefield called Bloody Lane. And if you've ever visited there, and I have, there's this lane. There's just this, this area that, that, that historians tell us that the battle was so tragic and so many lives were lost that there were so many dead men piled on top of dead men and horses piled on top of horses and just dead people that the blood was so much, and there was so much blood that it literally flowed down this area. In some places, they say it was almost two to three feet deep. Bloody lane, they call it. That's nothing compared to what we find here. Scripture tells us that the seas, imagine going to the Pacific Ocean 
and what you love in the Atlantic Ocean and visiting Florida or the Gulf of Mexico and loving to walk out and knowing how good that feels, walking to the shorelines after these asteroids hit the oceans and these tsunamis that are coming out of the water is blood flowing into the homes and the life. People will be dying left and right. Let me say this again. You don't want to be left behind. Look at the next trumpet judgment. Revelation chapter 8 and verses 10 and 11. The third angel sounded his trumpet and a great star blazing like a torch fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is what? And if you're a reader of C.S. Lewis, you're familiar with that. A third of the waters turned what? And many people died from the waters that had become bitter. So this third trumpet, that's judgment that's coming, it's a star. The third one is a star. And the water becomes bitter. And we know it as wormwood. So people will want fresh water. They want water to survive. Our bodies are almost all water. And so our bodies need water. And so they'll be running to the, to the places that fresh water is, used to run. And now, not only is it full of blood, but now it's bitter. And people will be killing people to receive water. There will be water lines. And the only way you get it, if you have the mark of the beast, six, six, set on your forehead or on the palm of your hand, there will be not only God's vengeance from above and his wrath, but people themselves will be battling against each other to survive. A little perspective here. I picture God and his angels just chucking stuff to earth and his vengeance is finally coming out. And the people of God during this, this is important. The people of God during this time are observing this. Those who have the seal of God on their forehead, they're observing and they're probably saying, Thank you, God. Finally, God is doing. And we will be able to observe these things as Christ followers in heaven. And I'm sure there will be a cheer in heaven saying, finally, God and his vengeance is taken upon all these evil in our world. Apparently, the star called Wormwood has a chemical substance that causes the waters to be bitter. Absolute chaos on planet Earth. Look at the fourth judgment trumpet that comes, trumpet judgment that comes. Look at verse, chapter 8 in verses 12 and 13. The fourth angel sounded his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, a third of the stars, so that a third of them turned what? A third of the day was without what? And also a third of the night. As I watched, look what it says next. John says, I heard a what? That was flying in the midair, called out in a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blast about to be sounded by the other three angels. The next trumpet judgment is a third of the big three. A third of the sun, moon, and stars are, are darkened. Now wrap your mind around that. If you've done any study in science, you know that our tides are controlled by the moon. And that the moon and the stars and the sun are vital to us. 
for many reasons. Imagine the climate changes quickly from heaven. Boom. Imagine the difference in people as they respond now. They look up and the moon is a third of it is darkened. And a third of the sun and a third of the stars. And now people scrambling for clothing because the climate changes. When it's dark, it's cold. And people wanting to survive. Let alone all the other things are happening now. Darkness is upon the earth and night and day are flip-flops. 16 hours of darkness and 8 hours of light. Bone chilling darkness everywhere. And now more sin is committed in darkness than ever in light. And then this eagle that's shown here appears on the scene, the screech of an eagle, and he gives what we know as the first woe of the trumpet judgments. And a woe is an intense, painful, exclamatory term of despair and resonation that speaks of no hope of survival for those still left on earth. This verse introduces that they are about to experience something worse than what has already been done. And I keep going back. It's like, how can you have anything worse than that? The rebellion of human beings against God, strangely, strangely, you would think they would turn to God, but it gets progressively worse. Aware that they have sinned against God and can't do anything about his all-out attack, they persist in their stubborn wills against God like some of you are still doing today. And you know the way, the truth, and the life. And you've heard it over and over and over again. And you've had that pounding in your heart that says, I need to make things right with God. And yet you persist in your stubborn will. And it won't be any different during this time either. Some have asked me and have asked other people, how is it that when someone sees this power of God and this all-out attack and his wrath and his vengeance, why don't people just fall down and respond and, and trust Christ? And some have even said this, and why doesn't our God, who's gracious and merciful, give people second chances? Why is it Hebrews 9, 27, it says, for man is appointed or destined to die once and face judgment. Why is it that when we do die, we immediately go before our judge and he says, either you're in or you're out. Why doesn't he give us second chances? And many have said, even smarter than me, a truthful reality, even if people were given second chances, they probably still would deny and turn away from God. How many chances have you been given? How many of you have been on the break of death? And you pray, oh God, help me this, God, help. God, if you do this, then, then, then God, I promise to. I promise to do this for you. God, I promise to. How many people do you know that have been on the brink of death and you've prayed over them and they have been near death experiences and yet they still deny the living God? Listen to me, I don't think anything changes because people will still be selfish in their own ways and believe that they can be their own little God. There's absolute chaos on planet Earth. Look at the next trumpet judgment that falls on planet Earth. Look at chapter 9. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. Let me just say what I believe that is. I believe that's not a physical star. 
I believe someone has to be able to open a door, open a gate. I don't believe it's a star as we think of an asteroid or a star. As we would think of a rock star, you would think of an athlete as a star, and you say, well, there's the star athlete. When I read that, that's how I read this. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. When he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like the smoke from a gigantic furnace. The sun and sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss. And out of the smoke, what came out? Down on the earth, and they were given power like that of what? Scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth as if there was any left or any of the plant or tree. But only those people who did not have the seal of what? God on their foreheads. Now, this is very important during this time. Let me just take this back to this timeline. What we know to be true is this during this time. Let's go tribulation period. During this tribulation period, those of us who have been raptured will be in heaven with God. There will be people, initially, the first part of the rapture, after the rapture, the first part of the tribulation, there will be zero Christians. Zero. That's what I believe to be true. But during this time, there are two witnesses, and we're going to look at it in a second, who have been evangelizing. They have an all-out evangelism course going on and going after people during the first three and a half years. During that time, there will be tribulation saints, people who respond to the gospel. And I believe most of these will ultimately die a martyr's life. So they're on planet Earth. They take the seal of God on their forehead. In other words, they're saying, guess what? I'm a Christ follower. The rest of the people on planet Earth can choose between the seal of God, but most will take what we looked at, the mark of the beast. The beast is the Antichrist. And we saw last week why 666, because it leaves each number short of seven. So during this time right here, it tells us in Revelation chapter 9, look again. It says in verse 4, they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree, but only those who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. So, tribulation saints are spared of this. Look at verse 5. They were not allowed to kill them, but only to what? Them for how long? Now, this is a tumultuous time. This is, people will be begging to die. In fact, Scripture tells us that. Look on with me. During the days, people will seek what, but will not what? They will long to what, but death will what? So people will be saying, kill me! I can't take this any longer. And yet God, during this time, these five months, these locusts, scorpion-like tails, are stinging and bringing harm and torturing those people. And why? 
Because God is showing his power on planet earth. Look what else happens. The locusts look like horses prepared for battle. On their heads, they wore something like crowns of gold, and their faces resembled what kind of human faces? It said, their hair was like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like a thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle. There were many of them. They were hovering and coming. They had tails with stingers like scorpions, and in their tails they had power to torment people for how long? Five months. They had as king over them the angel of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew is what? Abaddon. And in Greek, Apollyon, that is destroyer. Now think about this. Since the first woe is past, two other woes are yet to come. So the fifth woe literally is all out hell on earth. Or the fifth trumpet. Look at this. The fifth trumpet is all out hell on earth. Why do I say that? Because let me tell you a little bit about hell. You know, people joke about hell and, and they use hell in all kinds of words and and people refer to it like, that scared the hell out of me. And they use that word like it's light. Listen to me. A person who says that has no concept of literal hell. Literal hell is no place that anyone wants to spend time. And it says this, they will long to die, but they won't be able to. Demons release from the abyss... This is not hell or Hades. The abyss, I believe, is the bottomless pit, the bottom of the great gulf of Hades or Old Testament Sheol that separates the righteous from the wicked. If you read in Luke 16, it talks about Abraham's bosom. It talks about in in the Old Testament that when righteous people died, those who followed Yahweh and God, they went to the righteous side of Sheol, New Testament Greek word Hades. Those who were wicked and weren't followers of Yahweh went to the wicked side of Sheol, Hebrew, Greek, Hades. They go there, which ultimately that side of Hades is dumped into hell. And I believe that the abyss, this is my opinion, I believe the abyss is that chasm, that bottom part, that shaft to the two. And I believe that there have been demons that have been confined since the fallout in heaven with Lucifer. And I believe those demons have been chained up. And it's at this moment that these demons are released and they wreak havoc on planet earth. And the leader of these demonic group is the name Abaddon. He's a superior demon used to carry out Satan's duties, much like Michael is for God's angels. But, verse 4 again, look at Revelation 9 and verse 4. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree, but only those who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. People will beg to die what won't be able to. Now, people who study scorpion stings say that scorpion stings are some of the most painful stings they are. Most people don't die from scorpion stings. A scorpion sting generally isn't lethal. 
but it often impairs the person's nervous system and leaves them impaired. They can't function like they want to. And so their nervous system goes into total breakdown. They can't function their hands or their legs or their arms or their their thoughts. And so the nervous system is affected by scorpion sting. And this says that these scorpion-like looking demons will sting. And so for five months, they're in such pain. Just please let me die. They would rather die than face the pain, yet they can't. And sometimes we lose sight of eternal hell. You see, I know people who will say, you know, I, I'm, I, you know I've heard people say this. You know, we're going to have a party in hell. That's okay. My buddies are going there. We're going to have a party in hell. Here's what people often forget. I don't believe in the annihilation view that believes that when someone dies that they're gone forever. I think scripture shows everlasting suffering, everlasting pain, everlasting fire, everlasting, 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 everlasting. I believe if you die and you haven't trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you will be thrown into everlasting torment in hell, not just five months, but forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. What does scripture say about hell? Well, here's what scripture says. It's a place of everlasting fire, Matthew 25 and 41. It's a place of raging fire, Hebrews 10, 27. It's a place of unquenchable fire, Mark 9, 43. It's called the lake of fire, Revelation 19. It's called a place of utter darkness, Matthew 8 and 12. It's a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, Matthew 8 and 12. It's a place filled, pit filled with smoke, Revelation 9. It's a place where worms do not die, Mark 9 and verse 48. It's a place where there's no rest day and night, Revelation 14. It's ongoing suffering and pain, just longing to die but won't be able to. Listen to me. If you don't know Jesus Christ, that's where you'll end up. The next trumpet judgment that appears is in Revelation 9 and verse 13. The sixth trumpet. Look what happens next, the trumpet judgment. The sixth angel sounded his trumpet, and I heard a what? Coming from the four horns of the golden altar that is before God. It said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of the mounted troops was twice 10,000. So how many, how many is that? Twice 10,000 is what? Okay, twice 10,000 is 20,000. We need to go back to math. Twice 10,000 is 20 times 10,000. Add what's two with eight zeros, 200 million. Now picture this if you can. Demons, 200 million. And it says this, the horses and riders I saw in my vision looked like this. Their breastplates were fiery red, dark blue, and yellow as sulfur. The heads of the horses resembled the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and sulfur. A third of mankind was killed by the three plagues of fire, smoke, and sulfur that came out of their mouths. 
The power of the horses was in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails were like snakes, having heads which they inflict injury. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues still did not, what? Of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood. Idols that cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sensual immorality, sexual immorality, and their thefts. 200 million warriors are released during this time. And yet people still reject Jesus Christ. If we go with today's census, literally 1.7 billion people are killed as a result of this. By the way, these unrepentant people being killed, it's obvious that these unrepentant people cannot populate the earth even during the millennium. Let me give you a quick... Let's move ahead. This is the tribulation. The next time, period of time we know is the thousand-year reign or the millennium. People have asked me, who makes it into the millennium? Well, let me give you a quick snapshot of this. Once the seven-year tribulation is over, the only people that appear in the millennium are three people, three people groups. Those of us who have been raptured and have a resurrected body, redeemed, resurrected, perfect bodies. That's the first group. We come from heaven and we reign after the second coming. The next group of people who make it into the, the millennial reign are few, but there are some. You have the tribulation saints. You have those who somehow endured till the end. I think this number will be very small. They will make it in from the tribulation period. The third group of people that will be reigning during the millennial reign are babies, beginning with babies, who are under the age of accountability. And yes, there will be babies born during the tribulation because they don't repent of their sexual morality. I believe rape will be rampant. I believe men will still try to satisfy their lustful desires even though all hell is breaking loose on earth. And so coming from the tribulation, there will be raptured saints going into the millennium. And coming from the tribulation, a few who actually endured, I believe most will be martyred. And then there will be those who are under the age of accountability walking into the millennium. So you will have people with extraterrestrial heavenly bodies, us. You will have tribulation saints making it in who have normal bodies like we have now. And then you'll have babies. And these babies will grow up to be human beings. Now listen to me. Even they, after knowing all that's been told from tribulation saints, from resurrected saints who have the ability to go from heaven to earth, they can still reject Jesus Christ. And you wonder, how is that possible? How is it possible for us, even in this room, to know this and to read this and to watch changed lives and deny God because we're stubborn in our wills? After all this takes place, Revelation 11, we have two men that appear on the scene. Revelation 11 says we have these two 
witnesses that appear who have already been playing a vital role in the tribulation period. Two witnesses. Who have already, I believe, been at work. I believe they've already been at work during the tribulation. I believe they've been evangelizing planet Earth. And then it says this about them. Look at verse, chapter 11 and verse 1. I was given a reed like a measuring rod and was told, go and measure the temple of God and the altar with his worshipers, but exclude the outer court. Do not measure it, John said, because it has been given to the Gentiles. They will trample on the holy city for 42 months. And I will appoint to what? Okay, follow along here in verse 3. And they will prophesy for how many days? 1260. Clothed in sackcloth, they are the two olive trees and the two lampstands, and they stand before the Lord of the earth. If anyone tries to harm them, what comes from their mouth? And what? Their enemies. This is how anyone wants... This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. They have power to shut up the heavens so it will not rain. During the time they are prophesying. And they have power to turn the waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. Now, when they have finished their testimony, the beast, by the way, which is the Antichrist, that comes up from the abyss will what them? And overpower them and what them? Their bodies will lie in public square of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom in Egypt where also their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, some from every people, tribe, language, and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them what? The inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and will celebrate by sending each other what? Because these two prophets have been tormented who live on the earth. But after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them and they stood on their feet. And terror struck those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud where their enemies, while their enemies looked on. And then verse 13, it says this. At that very hour, there was a severe earthquake and a tenth of the city collapsed. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake and survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe has passed. The third woe is coming. It's significant here that this Antichrist who signed this peace treaty that we talked about a few weeks back, he looks like the peace man. All of a sudden, this beast, the Antichrist, walks on the scene and his true colors are shown. And he takes these two witnesses who are dressed in sackcloth, much like John the Baptist, and God allows him to kill the two witnesses. And then it says they lay in the streets for three and a half days and the world, the unsaved, gloats over their death. Now, most scholars call Revelation chapter 11 and verse 10 Satan's Christmas. And here's why. They're gloating over the death of the two witnesses who along with the 144,000 witnesses that have been alive during the tribulation period, they had... 
the two witnesses had power. If you didn't like, if they didn't like what you were doing, they would breed fire from their mouths and kill people. They could go up and turn water into blood. They just boldly proclaimed. And when they walked into the market and when they walked into the street, the people with the mark of the beast ran because the two witnesses were unable to be killed. And now all of a sudden they die in the middle of the street. And I believe during this time, that it will be broadcast all across our world, and they send each other gifts. Seriously, what kind of gift do you send during the tribulation? It's Satan's Christmas. They're celebrating death, and as Christ followers, we celebrate what at Christmas? Life. Can you see the contrast? Listen to me. This is real. And then after three and a half days, it says that God breathes life into them. And they stand up in front of all the people who are having Christmas. (laughs) Celebrating, they're dead, they're dead. And these two witnesses are resurrected just like our Savior was. And they are ushered into the skies in front of all the people. And the text says that they are filled with terror. In fact, it says this, that they give glory to the God who did it. Now listen, they gave glory and said, man, that's a big God, but they didn't repent and trust him. Even to the very end of this first half, they're still stubborn in their ways. People have often asked me who I believe the two witnesses will be. This is my opinion, and you can differ with me, but I'll defend why I believe it's these two people. I believe that the two witnesses will be Elijah and Enoch. And here's why. Both of them never died a physical death on planet Earth. One day Enoch, the Bible says, was there, and then he was gone. Someone said it this way. He was having a walk with God, and God said, hey, my house is closer than yours, and took him home. Another view for for Elijah, we know, was a chariot that went into the sky. Here's why I believe it could potentially be these two men. Because Hebrews 9.27 says this. For it's destined for man to die once and face judgment. These men never died once. They never died a physical death. Our Savior did. I believe these men will come back and die, as Scripture says, every man will once. And I believe so fulfilling scripture where it be clear that it's 100% accurate and infallible and inerrant because every man must die once and face judgment. The text says this as we end this up in 11 and verse 13. It says at that very hour there was a severe earthquake and a tenth of the city collapsed. And the survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. But they didn't trust him. I want to close this service by doing this. First, if you're unsure about your relationship with Christ, here in the main, go to your right up front here. If you're in the link, go to your left in the room, and we'll have an elder in there that would show you what it means to trust Jesus Christ. I want to close with just a minute of silence, and I'm going to ask you to do this, not get up, not walk out, But just take this minute and ask the Spirit of God to give you a holy boldness for lost people.
and ask him to bring to mind those you know who don't know Christ and to show him or to show you how to, with gentleness and respect, share the good news one more time. So just let the Spirit wash over you, fill you and compel you and speak to you in a moment of silence for those who need Christ. God, I pray you'll fill us with a holy boldness for all the Tims and Jeffs and Jennifers and Elizabeths that don't know Christ. May we march into enemy's territory in kindness and love and boldly proclaim Christ with gentleness and respect. And may we go to our graves telling people about Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. See you next week.